Hey Hope City Church, this is Pastor Jason, and uh, wow, what a week. This has been crazy and uh, maybe a little bit scary and shocking and all other kinds of words that uh, maybe you would use to describe this week, but uh, I'm, I'm, I'm bummed that we don't get to be together, to be in service together, but I'm thankful that technology allows us to at least uh, study the Bible together a little bit, and here, here's my hope is that you'll be a part of this message, and then you will continue to be a part of your growth groups. I do want to remind you that all of our growth groups are so active, and uh, so this week your growth group's going to be meeting. If you have questions, reach out to your leader, and maybe maybe even you haven't been a part of a group this semester, but now your schedule just freed up, and so you can be in one. Uh, jump in one. Uh, we'll put a link in the description wherever you're watching this. Uh, for you can see the groups that we have going, and, and more than anything else, more than you know, not being able to worship together or sit in rows together or uh, be in the building together. I just want to really encourage you to keep your relationship strong. Uh, you know, the church is a family, it's relationships. So I want to encourage you to keep those strong and let's figure out some other ways. We're working, our team's working, but I want to encourage you to help us and just figuring out ways to keep those relationships strong. And the best way to do that during this time, however long it lasts, is growth groups. All right. Now we are in part four of a series called Long Story Short where we're taking 10 weeks to go from Genesis to Revelation. We're kind of doing a flyover or an overview of the Bible to connect the dots and hopefully help us understand the story of the Bible and understand the God who wrote it a little bit more. And so, so far, we've learned about Adam and Eve and creation and sin. We've learned about Abraham and God's promise to Abraham and um that, that his family is going to grow large enough to be a nation. And eventually, 
That nation is going to provide Jesus through, through that family. Jesus is going to come. Uh, we've, we've learned about Moses and we've learned about the Exodus and how that, uh, that, that Abraham's family grew into two million plus people. They're now a nation. They're living in Egypt and Moses brought them out. And uh, they were in the desert. What should have been a few weeks ended up being 40 years because of uh, bad choices and a lack of courage. Uh, we've, we've learned about all that, which brings us now in the story to the, the book of Joshua and Judges. If you're following along in the Old Testament, this is kind of Joshua, Judges, 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, kind of that time period. And where we are in the story is that Israel has now come out of Egypt. They've spent 40 years in the desert, and it's time, finally, to go into the promised land. And we call it the promised land because it was the land that was literally promised to Abraham. God said to Abraham, there's a, there's a place, there's a geographical place where your family's going to live, and I'm promising it to you. And so now, about 450 to 500 years later, that land that was promised to Abraham, they are getting ready to move in. And all of the people who came out of Egypt have died in the desert. The next generation has come up, except two guys, one named Joshua and one named Caleb. Moses is no longer around. Joshua is now the leader. And so if there's a whole new generation. The, the generation that came out of Egypt is gone. A whole new generation is moving in. Uh, maybe you've heard of the, the story of the walls of Jericho falling down. That's Joshua when they're, when they're crossing over and entering into the land. And so we get to see the reason we're talking about this, the reason it's important enough to be one of the 10 stories that we're looking at is because we're finally going to get to see what happens when God's people get what they want. We're going to get to see what happens when after all the praying, all the traveling, all the ceremonies, all the worship, all the anticipation, now 400, 500 years later, they're going to get what they want. And I think it's going to teach us something because spoiler alert, it doesn't go well. It doesn't go well for the people. They finally get what they want and it doesn't go well. And if we will listen and if we'll pay attention, we can learn from their story. It's really why we're spending so much time in the Old Testament because the, the Bible teaches us, but specifically the stories in the Old Testament, they teach us. And I want to read you a scripture from Romans chapter 15 that, that shows us what the Old Testament can do for our lives. And this is what it says in Romans chapter 15, verse 4. It says, Such things were written in the Scriptures long ago to teach us, and the Scriptures give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. And what this means is that if we will read the Old Testament with open hearts and open minds, that we can learn something. You know, I've heard it said that there are two ways to learn mistakes and mentors. And mistakes are lessons that you learn the hard way yourself. And mentors are people who can teach you lessons that they learn the hard way. And so in essence, what Romans 15 is telling us is that if we will be willing to learn and listen, that the Old Testament Bible stories and heroes and characters can be mentors for us. We can learn from Abraham and Moses and David and Elijah and all these people, and Jonah and just all, all these people that we get to read about. And so here's the lesson that if we're paying attention and we're willing to learn it today, here's the lesson that Israel is going to teach us. It's hard to want God after you get what you want. It's hard to want God after you get what you want. Throughout our life, uh, throughout your life, you're going to come to these places where you find yourself in the same position 
as the nation of Israel. Um, you're you're going to be at a place that you've always wanted to be. Maybe it's a relationship that you've always wanted to have, uh, companionship. Maybe it's a job or a career, a bank account balance, a physical goal or certain weight, or maybe it's a crisis averted or a consequence avoided. When you get there, when you finally arrive there, something happens and, and you probably don't even recognize it. It's it's, it's kind of beneath the surface, a little bit subconscious, but eventually what happens when you get what you want is the same thing that happened to the, the nation of Israel and the children of Israel is that you realize you're not as desperate for God as you used to be. You're just not as desperate. And the reality is that it's easy to need God when you have a need. If we were to share our story, you were to share your story, you would, you would probably admit that, that when the needs in our life are the greatest, that's when we feel the need for God the greatest, but it's hard to want God after you finally get what you want. And this is the story of the nation of Israel. So I'm going to read several verses for you in Deuteronomy chapter 8. I would highly encourage you to grab a Bible. I'd love for you to read along. Uh, We're also going to throw them up on the screen for you. But I'm going to read you some verses from uh, Moses. Now, he's not around by the time what we're talking about today happens. But Moses, speaking for God, is going to give the people a warning about what is going to happen or potentially could happen once they finally get what they want. So let's read this together. Deuteronomy chapter 8, and I'm going to start at verse 7. We're going to read verse 7 to verse 17. So it's, it's going to be a few verses together. Deuteronomy chapter 8. Let's read these verses together. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land of flowing streams, of pools of water, with fountains and springs that gush out in the valleys and hills. It's a land of wheat and barley, of grapevines, fig trees, and pomegranates, of olive oil and honey. It's a land where food is plentiful and nothing is lacking. It is a land where iron is as common as stone and copper is as abundant as the hills. So in other words, these are, this is describing the land. It's as great as God said it would be. All of these descriptions are describing how phenomenal this land is. But let's keep going. Verse 10, it says, When... Moses speaking for God to the people, when you have eaten your fill, be sure to praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. But that is the time to be careful. Beware that in your plenty you do not forget the Lord your God and disobey his commands, regulations, and decrees that I'm giving you today. For when you have become full and prosperous and have built fine homes to live in, and when your flocks and herds have become very large and your silver and gold have multiplied along with everything else, be careful. Verse 14, do not become proud at that time and forget the Lord your God who rescued you from slavery in the land of Egypt. Do not forget that he led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its poisonous snakes and scorpions, where it was so hot and dry. He gave you water from the rock. He fed you with manna in the wilderness and uh, a food unknown to your ancestors. He did this to humble you and to test you for your own good. He did this so that you would never say to yourself, I have achieved this wealth of my own strength and energy. And then one more time, verse 18, remember the Lord your God. So Moses 20 to 30 years earlier, warns the people, be careful. Now, I don't know about you, but if somebody like Moses is giving me a warning, like, be careful, I'm going to want to listen to what Moses has to say. And here's what he says. He says, be careful, but when should we be careful? If he was talking to you and I today, when would he tell us to be careful? Should we be careful when the IRS is doing an audit of our taxes or 
when uh, we have a court date or when your spouse tells you that they're thinking about leaving or when your company is thinking about layoffs. Is, is that when Moses is saying to be careful? No. No, that's not when we're supposed to be careful because human nature already naturally kind of puts us in urgent crisis mode during those times. What Moses says is it's when the audit turns out fine. It's when the judge lets you off with a warning. It's when your spouse and your marriage trouble is worked out. It's when your job isn't laying people off that you've got to be careful because what happens in those times is that you forget about God and you forget that God is the one who saved you and God is the one who got you through in the past. And we forget, and it's something that we all, we all do. And so what's going to happen over the next 450 years through the book of Judges, 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Samuels, is this cycle of regret and repentance. Regret and repentance. This cycle of, of kind of running to God when you need Him and then running away from Him when you don't. And let me, let me show you what this cycle looks like. I'm going to put it up on the screen for you. The people rebel against God. God gives them what they want. Life gets miserable. The people beg God for help. God sends a judge or a king to help. Everything gets better. The judge or king dies. And then the people rebel against God. And then it starts all over again. God gives them what they want because they rebel. Life gets miserable. The people beg God for help. God sends a judge, a king to help. Everything gets better. The judge or the king dies. The people rebel against God. This is a cycle that keeps going on and on. And if it sounds familiar, it should because it's the pattern of your life and my life too. It's hard to need God when we don't feel a need. And it's really hard to want God when we finally get what, what we want. Now, here's how C.S. Lewis said it. He was a smart guy. He, he's quoted as saying, human history is the long, terrible story of a man trying to find something other than God that will make him happy. Maybe you could say that about your life. Maybe that's your story. That as you look back over your timeline, you just see all of these ways that you were trying to be happy and trying to find happiness and trying to find pleasure or find joy, and it doesn't work. And you know what else I would be willing to bet is true about your story? Is that in all those times when it broke down and you cried out to God or begged God to help you or promised God you'd never do it again, He did help you. He did show up. And you swore and you really believed, I'm never going to do that again, but I would be willing to bet that you did because I do and you do and Israel and Israel did. This is the pattern that we experience. And so what I want to do from this story, it's obviously a long story that covers hundreds of years. We don't have time to look at all the details, but what I want to do is is I want Israel to mentor us a little bit. I want them to teach us some lessons so that we don't maybe get as bad as they got, do as bad as they did. Let me give you three ways or three signs that you're drifting from God. Three signs that maybe your heart is drifting, your passion is drifting, Maybe you're fading away from God. And these are signs, warning signs that Israel saw as well. Now, here's the first one, all right? The first warning sign that maybe you're drifting from God is that commitment is optional. Commitment is optional. If you were to go back and read before the the nation of Israel went into the land, here's what you would find. You would find that God told them, when you get into the land, destroy all the idols, destroy all the other enemies, destroy all the the life that's happening there, and you move in and you establish your land, but don't keep any of the old life around. But then if you flip the pages a little bit more, you would see that 
that Israel moved in. It's actually in Judges 1. Matter of fact, I'll read it to you. Judges chapter, Judges chapter 1, verse 19. This is what it says. It says, The Lord was with the people of Judah, and they took possession of the hill country, but, but they failed to drive out the people living in the plains. Then if you look over at 27 and you read verse 27 for a few verses, you're going to see all these tribes that kind of obeyed God. They kind of did. They drove out some of the people. They destroyed some of the idols, but not all of them. And anytime you can look at your life and you can identify a place where maybe you used to be more committed in your relationship, your passion, your religion, but now commitment seems a little more optional, that is a warning sign, a red flag, a siren going off that potentially your heart is drifting from God because that's what happened to them. That's the first warning sign that maybe your heart's drifting from God is that commitment is optional. Let me give you number two. The second warning sign is that not only is commitment optional, but sin is controllable. This is what you begin to think and what you begin to feel that, you know what, I've got it under control. I, I can handle it. God told the people, we, we just mentioned that God told the people, drive them out, drive them out, get rid of all the idols, get rid of all the, their ways of life because I don't want it to tempt you. I don't want it to pull you away. And if you look at Judges chapter 1, verse 28, it says that, uh, it says that when the Israelites grew stronger, they forced the Canaanites, that's the people that God wanted them to drive out, to work as slaves, but they never did drive them out completely. In other words, they looked at their enemy and they said, you know what, instead of completely obeying God, we're going to keep you around, but we're going to try to, we're going to control you. And that's what we think about our lives and our sin and our mistakes and our temptations is I've got it under control. But what inevitably happens is whatever we think we are controlling will eventually control us. I'd be willing to bet if you look back over your life, the sinful, poor decisions, habits, addictions in your life, here's what I'd be willing to bet, that you do them more now than you did in the past that they probably dictate more of your life now than they dictated before. You probably feel a little less in control than you did before because we believe that sin is controllable when our heart is drifting from God and we get farther away. I wrote down in my notes that the areas of disobedience in my life that I feel like I have under control eventually control me. And so maybe if you look at your life right now and you would say, you know what, I feel like this thing, whatever it is, is controlling me. I would be willing to bet you could look back at a time and, and see a time when you were unwilling to get rid of it completely, thinking that you had it under control. And so when we start thinking that commitment's optional and sin's controllable, these are warning signs, sirens going off that maybe our heart's drifting from God. But let me give you one more. This is the last one. Not only is commitment optional or sin controllable, but, but number three, we think that truth is debatable, that truth is debatable. If you read anything about the book of Judges, listen to any sermons or podcasts about the book of Judges, you're going to find the very last verse. It's in Judges chapter 21, uh, verse 15, or verse 25, excuse me. It's the very last verse, almost kind of like a closure to this whole story. And if you read the book of Judges, you probably got a couple weeks on your hands now. Maybe you want to read the book of Judges. Uh, it gets worse and worse and worse and spiraling out of control. And, and even the people in the story look around at the conditions and they say, how did it get this bad? Maybe as you read it, I know I have before I read it, and I think, man, how could it ever get that bad? I would never do that. I would never let it get that bad. And, and it's almost as if the writer of Judges at the very end wanted to let us know and remind us, this is how it got this bad. It's in Judges chapter 21, verse 25. This is what it says. 
It says, in those days, talking about the four or 500 years of the book of Judges, in those days, Israel had no king and all the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. There was no authority. They, they weren't looking to God for truth. They weren't looking to God for law or rule. And God had given Moses 630 laws and rules to, to govern their life. And he said, if you'll do this, you're going to prosper and it's going to be a life you want to live. But if not, then it's probably going to go bad for you. And that's exactly what happened. And so now they're living their life doing things with a filter of whatever they believe is right. There's no standard. There's no truth. It's whatever is right for you and whatever is right for me. But that breaks down really quickly because truth is not debatable. Now, I'm not saying that we don't debate. I'm not saying we don't interpret the Bible. But for us as believers and Christians, we believe that the Bible is our standard, our word, our, our truth. Like This is what God gives us to build our lives on. He even said that for, for believers and Christians, that if you build your life on his words and his teachings, that you're building a life that will stand when life gets crazy. Maybe life feels crazy right now. It's a good time to kind of assess, like, what is my life built on? Do I believe that truth is whatever I think it is or whatever someone else thinks it is or whatever seems fair to me? Or do I believe that the standard and the, the, the truth and the foundation of my life is the word of God? What happened to the nation of Israel, as they drifted from God and their heart drifted, is that truth became debatable. And it happens to you and it happens to me. So these are warning signs, sirens going off. How can I know if my heart is drifting from God? Commitment seems optional. Sin seems controllable. And truth is debatable. So what do we do with this? What do we do with this? I wish that I could say, so here's what I'll do. I'll give you a way to make sure your heart never drifts from God. But I can't give you that way because the human heart is built to drift. The human heart is built to look for something other than God because we are sinful people. I can't sit here and say that you'll never drift from God or there's enough sermons you can listen to or enough church services you can go to or Bible stories that you can read to where you won't drift from God. Actually, I'm telling you the opposite is that when you wake up today and tomorrow and the next day, your sinful heart is prone to wonder. It's prone to, to drift and to walk away. And so what I want us to do to learn from Israel is, is we can't prevent a drift sometimes, but what we can do is be on the lookout for our drift. And we can, if, if we begin to see areas of our life where we used to be committed, but we're not, we need to pay attention. If we begin to see areas where we, we used to say we won't do something, but we can handle it, so we're going to do it now, pay attention. If there was a time when we stood on truth, but because of relationships or confusion, we, we begin to kind of think that, you know what, truth is open for debate. We need to pay attention. And when that happens, we need to come back to God and say, God, I feel myself drifting. I feel myself getting away and I don't want to drift any further. I want to come back to you. I want to be committed to you. I want to live a holy life. I want to stand on truth. And the next day or the next week or the next month, guess what's going to happen? You're going to feel yourself drifting. And you see these warning signs and you come back to God and you say, God, I don't want to drift. I don't want to get away. I want you. And this is the cycle of our life. Until we get to be with God in heaven, we, this will be the cycle of our life. And so look at these warning signs. Look at any of these three and maybe you would, you would look at them and you would say about your life, you know what, I am recognizing a couple of ways 
that I used to feel closer to God. I used to feel more passionate about God. It doesn't make you a bad person. It doesn't make you a, a terrible person or you shouldn't feel guilty because some preacher says that you're doing awful. What it should do is it should give you a chance, awaken your heart and your soul, the Holy Spirit challenging you and convicting you right now that you're drifting and you need to come back. Come back, ask God to renew in you a passion and in your heart a fire for Him again. I wanna pray for us. I really am I'm appreciative. If you stayed with me this whole way and watched this whole sermon, I'm so glad that we've got a chance to spend this time together. I'm gonna to pray for us, I'm gonna pray for you, that if our hearts are drifting from God, we'd come back. Let's pray. God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that when we were separated from you, you sent Jesus to make a way for us to know you. And so God, I pray for every person who's watching right now, who's listening right now, who, who has put their faith in Christ. They do believe in Jesus, but they find themselves drifting or feeling farther, farther away or, or, or find themselves losing maybe their passion for God. I pray that, that the Holy Spirit through this video, through this podcast would convict them and challenge them to identify where maybe commitment is optional or sin is controllable or truth is debatable and that we would come back to you, attach ourselves to you again, depend on you again, ask for your mercy again, and try with the help of the Holy Spirit to stay as close to you as we can. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.